So, this is the episode I was referencing, the nice Breath of Fresh Air episode. Which is funny, because there is still a serious undercurrent plot here, but, you know. <clears throat> I do want to share something. I actually have a quote up here. So, for those of you not aware, this is, of course, after First Contact. I've actually talked about how First Contact kind of worked alongside DS9 for a bit there. And DS9 referenced it extremely briefly. Well, in DS9, there's this... Excuse me, in First Contact... There's this bit where Picard tells Lily, you know, we work to better ourselves for the rest of and the rest of humanity. There's a bit in this episode, which had a teleplay passed by Ronald E. Moore, that says, It's my money, Jake. If you want to bid at the auction, use your own money. I'm human. I don't have any money. Hey, it's not my fault your species decided to abandon currency-based economics in favor of some sort of philosophy of self-enhancement. Hey, watch it. There's nothing wrong with our philosophy. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. What does that mean exactly? It means... It means we don't need money. Well, then if you don't need money, then you certainly don't need mine. I just love that quote because it's, it's more making fun of himself, but it also makes fun of the whole problem. See, here's the thing. This episode really is why the Federation abandoning incentive-based economics is stupid. And I'm just going to say that as bluntly as I possibly can. Here's the problem. I've talked before about the idea of a post-scarcity society. A post-scarcity society would still have an economy. Because an economy... A lot of people seem to... God, I'm sorry. This is an economics episode, so I'm just going to go off on this one. Please forgive me. But an economy does not mean greedy, grunty, making money. That's, that, that's not what an economy is. An economy is the flow of goods and services through a system. The system itself being the economy. You with me? So, let's look at this here. They want the Willie Mays baseball card from this auction. Okay. Um, Jake... Jake's a little mean to Nog in this episode. What the hell, dude? Nog's really trying to help you out, and you're just being a dick to him. Anyways... Uh, so, they meet the mad scientist, who is uh, a very unique thing. I just want to mention this really quick. He was played by Brian Markinson, who I only really remember as Sulon and the 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 Ed lieutenant or ensign, I can't even remember his name, from Faces over in Voyager, who actually did a pretty good job over there and was one of the hallmarks of that particular episode. So, just, you know, praise there. He does a good job of portraying someone who is a mad scientist who's harmless. Which is a weird thing, because usually when you think mad scientist, you're thinking like, you know, higher tier, right? Someone who's a problem. You know, Dr. Wiley, to use a, a classic video game example. But instead, this guy's like, no, yes, I will show you all how it is to have yourselves entertained every night. And he's just, he's, he's, he's a nothing. He's completely ineffectual. And I, I, I'm not saying that as an insult. The actor, again, Markinson, he does a good job of portraying that. But let's look, so he has what they want. This is now founding the basic principle of what an economic system requires. You have what I want. I have what you want. Trade. Now this is at the most fundamentally basic level. But the episode actually continues to expand upon that. Because in order to procure each of these things, they need to provide something for someone else. Now the episode doesn't give us every single step of the way. 
But we do know that O'Brien is only doing this extra work that he does not particularly want to do because someone else called in sick. Now, they offer to do the work for him, in which case he is able to go do what he wants to do, go kayaking, for example. Now, in this case, this is a service, and I know I'm, I'm going to be talking at a really base level, but I want to showcase this because this is actually a pretty good base level in, in, uh, base level showcasing of what an economy is. So please forgive me. I know, I, I swear I don't think you're stupid. I just want to go through this step by step, okay? So they are offering him a service in exchange for a service in exchange. He will then show them where this item is so they can procure it. So I guess it's technically a good, but the point being he knows where it is, so he is actually providing a service to them, his identifying of where the item is that they are free to take in exchange for them performing a service for him. Again, a one-on-one -on -one trade, but you'll notice how, if you're thinking about this, this is actually a two-on-one trade because they are now performing a service and procuring a good in exchange for a good. Then we talk about Bashir. Now, what I like about this, first of all, I just want to give credit to, uh, I guess, more, but whoever wrote this line needs plenty of credit because he mentions Nog, mentions the line incentive-based economics, because that's what it's really boiling down to. But moving forward, Bashir, they try the same trick on Bashir and it doesn't work. Bashir is really focused on this thing and he really wants to get this done, but he's still kind of dour. Why? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious why he's dour. Now, actually solving the reason why he's dour? Not possible. Because the reason why he's dour is because there's a war looming. Like one episode away at this point. You know, this is a terrifying, dangerous situation. However, one of the things that is a natural re reality of being a human being is even if you can't solve the problem, you can make your overall scenario better. I mean, I know that sounds, again, very basic, but the idea is, okay, we can't solve your problem. Can we do something to improve your life? And he says, yes, I want my teddy bear back. Whatever it's called, I forget the name. So this is now a good, although technically this is still a service being provided, because the service in this case is them procuring the good from a known location since she refuses to give it back to him. Technically this is stealing, but it's not actually, because this is actually more like reclamation. Uh, but let's not get into that particular thing. Later on, we find out that Worf dislikes some of the, and I quote, subharmonic distortions in his music. You'd think a program or something could do that. But either way, that requires someone like Nog to go through and actually perform the action of fleecing that as he goes. And meanwhile, Jake is actually helping to write and then rewrite a script for her to use, that is to say Kira, to use for her speech. Now, if you're paying attention... Almost all of these are functionally a service in exchange for goods, in exchange for good. Thus, the movement through this system, and you can see why I wanted to do the base level uh, concept here, is two, these two individuals perform services for these people, who then perform services or goods back to them, so they can give the goods to him, so he can give the goods to them. In this case, good, actually, the card. Now... What happens as a consequence of this flow of both goods and services is that everyone's happier. Now, that is a coincidence. Let's just be 100% blunt. Because this does not take into account simple, uh, concepts such as greed, which is one of the biggest problems with economics as a system, or the nature of coincidence. Things lined up suspiciously well here. 
to the point where they were able to perform a specific service for everyone in order to procure items from everyone in order to get it to him in order to get the card. It's actually extremely likely to the point of entirely possible that these things would not have lined up this well. Under those circumstances, usually an economic system will have a third good in order to be exchanged as a way of approximating the service or good rendered. So in this case, I will do this for you, and you will give me the item I want. Well, what if, for example, just to use an example, what if Bashir really did have nothing he wanted, specifically? There was no specific good or service that was in him, or maybe Worf didn't. Well, in these circumstances, you can offer them the third good, which then they are allowed to turn into something else that they may want either now or further down the road, because the third good also is a non-perishable. And yes, I'm talking about currency. That is the basic concept of what a currency is, the method by which we determine the value of other things and services. You with me so far? I'm sure you are. I, again, I feel stupid for breaking this down so far, but I wanted to do so. Because this episode is one of two episodes, both of which are in Deep Space Nine, that in my opinion really help to elevate why the Federation should have an economic system built into it. Now, this is even funnier if you pay attention to some of the things I myself have brought up several times in the past, and plenty of other people as well, because there are plenty of episodes of Star Trek, including TNG, uh, some of the movies, uh, in fact, Star Trek Three, the, uh, the Search for Spock actually referenced specifically McCoy paying for a service, you know, price you name money I got. There, There's several references to the Federation actually having currency-based economics, even though by this point in Star Trek, they have the, the, the party line, so to speak, the official word, the canon, is that the Federation has abandoned currency-based economics. This itself is further unusual, given the fact that the Federation itself op uh, operates extensively in trade with other powers. You can, I hope I'm making my point. I'm probably failing at it. But my overall point here is that there is no reason for the Federation to not offer a third-value currency in exchange. Because the only, the only point of a third-value currency, a third good, as I was referring to it as, is that it is something that is considered valuable equally by all. And in the olden days, I told you I was going to go off on this one. In the olden days in real life, uh, those usually used to be things that were either rare or difficult to procure. So either um, you could only get so much of it, it was hard to get it, or it had some in inherent value. Now, all of these make logical sense for a currency because all of them have built-in value based on the nature of what they are. Either there's something you can reuse regularly. Cattle is probably my favorite example of that. They're very hard to procure, like calorie shells is a great example of that. Or there's only so much of it. Gold is probably the obvious answer there. But the thing is, in a truly, I hate to say this because this could sound elitist, but in a truly modern economic system, currency itself, economic people, economic geeks, and analysts and, and actual professional economists debate the points I'm talking about to this very day. So none of this is defined fact. I, sh I should proviso, okay? So, in my opinion, in, modern, in a modern economic system, in a true economic system, if I was to use such terminology, currency should have no inherent value because that's not the point. Money, to put it into such terms, should be worthless in and of itself. 
it should instead be nothing more than a denominator for those things that are actually of worth, the service or the goods. You with me? Now that is, of course, my opinion, and I know a lot of people disagree with me on that one. <laughs> you, should, you should see some of the debates I've gotten into. Oh, God, especially back in college. Oh, my God. But the reason I bring that up is because we're actually kind of there already. Not fully, of course, but, I mean, we've gone from, you know, uh, coin coinage and ingots, you know, to paper and indicators to digital in the last about a hundred years. It hasn't even, it might not even been that long if you want to think about it. Probably a little longer if you want to stretch it out, but you get the idea. We have moved forward to the point where money is now a number that happens to be an indi indicator rather than having inherent value in and of itself. And I could talk about how debts and the flow thereof also affects this whole system because ultimately what was happening in this episode, to get it back to the actual episode proper, is a transference of debts from one person to the other. In short, the gentleman, Geiger, functionally wanted to procure things and had nothing to procure them with other than an item that no one else valued. So in short, he transferred this debt to them, which they then transferred to them, paid that debt off, paid his debt off, and procured the item. The flow of debt is a very important aspect of an economic system as well. And I know I'm getting a little bit too high tier here, so I do apologize. Uh, actually, that's more like moderate tier, but you get the idea. Point being, point being, this episode, <laughs> like imagine for a moment, if Jake just had money. That's it, just just money. As an aside, by the way, while I'm on the subject, you know, they never explain why Geiger is so interested in the stupid baseball card. Like, they never bring that up. The closest thing to an explanation I've ever heard is he wanted it, they wanted it, so he freaked out and wanted it more, which is actually a problem with an economic system when you overvalue the relative worth of a good or service. I could talk about that for hours, so let's move on. I'm sure you guys are already tired of hearing me talk about economics. What I do want to talk about is Wei Yun, who is awesome as usual. But I love the fact that Wei Yun presumes this is all some kind of conspiracy against him because he's Wei Yun. He's actually extremely used to this kind of thing. I actually mentioned this back in uh, Ties of Blood and Water, I believe was the episode. He's kind of used to this sort of thing. And so when he gives, <laughs> what I love is Jake gives this absolute spin story of stupid. And Wayne says, oh, I believe you. You do? Yeah, your first story. You're just a couple of kids. Come on, here, give him the card. Let's go. <clears throat> because, well, first of all, because Wayne is probably pretty good at sensing out a lie, but second of all, because uh, you can see how the second story was so ludicrously ridiculous that Wayne was just like, yeah, no. What's funny, though, is I could see a Star Trek episode trying something like Jake's story. Especially in the original series. So they get the card, and O'Brien gets to go kayaking. Bashir gets his teddy back. Lita gets nothing. <laughs> I mentioned debt transference. I should have referenced that, too. I, I said I'd stop talking about economics. But in brief, Lita had actually a functional debt, which was then transferred thanks to a debt collector, which then allowed that, so you can kind of see how debt comes into that one. But anyway, so Lita gets to you know, have nothing. Um, Worf gets his operas over on the Defiant. Kira gets her speech, which goes off well. And they get the card, which cheers up Cisco. The episode ends on a nice note. Even in darkness, something will cheer you up. 
Now, if you're paying attention, I haven't talked about the B-plot yet. <laughs> so, they mention how there's been a significant series of thefts of medical supplies and food rations, because of course there have been. The, everyone assumes that the Dominion is going to come for this station, and to be as blunt as possible, Starfleet, and in fact everyone, has shown no functional capacity to actually defend it in the case of all-out war. Um, I should say open war to, you, to be more terminology-specific, but you get the idea. So the Dominion specifically reaches out to Bajor. Now, when I was first watching this show... Uh, with my mom, because <laughs> I watched basically all of Star Trek up to Enterprise with my mom. That's when we stopped. That was the last show. It feels weird. The last show I got to watch side by side with my mom was Enterprise, and we quit like three episodes in. But anyways, um, getting to DS9, uh, the, as soon as the, they mentioned that the Dominion, as soon as Kai Wynn mentioned that the Dominion reached out to them, that it was the Dominion's idea, she was like, oh no. And I'm like, what, what? What did I miss? And she's like, the Dominion's playing in politics. And that, that just kind of clicked for me. And I was like, oh, because she was right. And the episode proves it true. The Dominion is so much more dangerous in many ways than almost any other villainous group that has ever been seen in Star Trek, specifically because of the fact that they're willing to play at politics. Think about this for a moment. The Dominion has shapeshifters, which are very good at infiltrating a nearly inexhaustible, massive military, which they have total control over, as if they were robots, and they play at politics. They are a terrifying threat. And, whoosh, yeah. <laughs> so, they reach out to Bajor and said, Hey, non-aggression treaty? You gotta feel for Bajor, don't you? They have suffered for way too long. I forget the year. It's 70 years or something like that. They have suffered for way too damn long under the Cardassian yoke when no one was willing to give them direct aid. Then they finally kick out the Cardassians. The Federation swoops in to try and, you know, help them get back on their feet. And you can see why the Bajorans would be rather hesitant about that, as I've discussed before. But after a while, they start to realize, okay, the Federation really does mean well, so sure, we'll take your help. But as a consequence of accepting the help from the Federation, this puts them directly in the crosshairs of something even worse than the Cardassians, the Dominion. And, as bonus points, the Dominion also currently holds the reins of the Cardassians, who would love to go take over Bajor again, if for nothing else, out of pure petty spite. Yay. Are we sure the prophets like, care about us? Is that, is that, I mean, I don't know, I'm starting to wonder here. Quick aside, why is Kai Wynn the one doing this instead of the PM, the, the Prime Minister, or... The, the, the council of ministers or any actual elected political figure. I mean, I know she is an elected political figure, but it's, it's like the Pope making a deal with the Martians. Actually, now that I say that, yes, I know in real life history there were times at which the, the Catholic Church was literally a political entity in the sense that it operated as its own head of state, but the point remains. Now, I actually do have a private headcanon theory on that one. I think that they reached out to Bajor and Kaiwin wanted to be at the, the forefront of this because Kaiwin is an ambitious, selfish, evil person who wanted the political brownie points of being the one to accept the deal from the... Oh, I'm saying that wrong. Being the one that was the point of contact. There we go. She wanted to be the front runner 
for Bejor's external and foreign relations. You'll notice she's also the one who discusses this with Cisco, even though, again, this should probably be the Minister of Foreign Affairs or something similar. But no, it gets to be Kai Wen. For all that I despise her, oh, and I do, what I do appreciate is how her situation here is a little bit gray. She is... I like the actress who plays Kai Wen. I want to make that clear. She actually does a very good job with her role. And she know, she manages to put nuances into her portrayal so she doesn't come across as cacklingly, cartoonishly, you know, mustache-twirlingly evil. And that is part of why I think she works as a character, uh, because of the strength of the actress. It's, it's funny, I could say the same thing about Dukat. But there's this bit where Kai... This is probably me reading too much into it, but if you watch her face and watch her body language... I have never seen her present herself as more terrified than she does here. She is out of her league, and she knows it. Some of you may know I have a character concept I call the Krennic. In this case, and I'm not going to elaborate on it, it's on the website if you want to look at it, but in this case, she is not a Krennic. She is a small fish, and she knows it. And she is legitimately terrified. It's not until Cisco asks her, trust me, that she starts to calm even a little bit, that she starts to unclench a little bit. And she reaches out for that wrong hand, reaches out for his ear, says, all right, okay, we're going to do this. Side note, I know this is kind of obvious, but if Bajor had formally joined the Federation six months ago in that episode, I can't remember the name of it, please forgive me, then this non-aggression treaty wouldn't even be on the table. Probably. Instead, the Dominion would just take Bajor. The end. So they're distancing themselves from the Federation is the only thing that's going to protect them. <laughs> and again, you got to feel for Bajor. Okay, the only way to be protected is to take the one group of people who are unilaterally, selflessly trying to help us and distance ourselves from them. Yay. There's also a really nice bit where Wei Yun says, Oh, I think we're very much alike, Kai Wen. And she says, No, we're nothing alike whatsoever. Funnily enough, I do disagree. But <laughs> I like to think... So, okay, I'm going to spoil something. Kai Wen gets a little bit better, basically from now until about season seven. So about a season and a half. And I'd like to think that at least part of that is because she saw how bad someone like her could really be. And it freaked her out. And so she distances herself from that mentality and that persona, so to speak. Just my take on that. Either way, I hope you enjoyed this episode, as I did. I didn't even mention this. Michael Dorn actually directed this one. It's his first one. Can you believe that? Seven years on TNG and he never directed. Anyways, this is his first episode. I think he did a good job with it. There's a lot of nice... Very quiet character moments that he does a good job of pulling out. And with that, it's time to get to the season finale. See you there, guys.